Well, it's great to be back, and uh, one of the beautiful things about being just a little bit older is that uh, Eva is free to travel with me now, and we're even together on Valentine's Day, which is pretty unusual. Eva's going to read the scriptures for us. Uh, just wait, yeah. Begin at the last verse of Jonah chapter 3. When God saw that the people of Nineveh did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This was why I was quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade to his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose... God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But Jonah said to God, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this vine, though you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Very familiar story, of course, Jonah, and uh, ridiculed by the, the critics <clears throat> and some who are apparently uh, Christians uh, try to say you're not really meant to believe it. it was just a tract written to encourage the Judah to pick up their responsibilities and not avoid them. However, it is not presented as a story. We have formulae when we present a story in, in English. If we're telling a story, we start off with the words, once upon a time. And when you read that, you know it didn't really happen, right? <laughs> it's just a story. And uh, Jesus does the same thing. He says, for example, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. You're not supposed to believe this is historical, uh, a lot of the facts are true, of course, but the actual story is just a story. However, Jonah is not presented that way. He is presented as a real person, so he's given a name. 
not a certain man, Jonah. Elsewhere we read that Jonah was the son of a prophet called Amittai and that he had a real place where he lived. It was called Gath Hefer. And if you have a good enough map, you can find Gath Hefer. It needs to be an old one, of course. And I'm glad I didn't live there because it's hard to spell and it's impossible to say without splashing. So, you know, I'm glad I didn't live there. It is not presented as a story. It's presented as fact. Uh, One reason the critics attacked it was they said that archaeology couldn't find Nineveh. And at the end of Jonah chapter 4, we're told that it was a city of 120,000 people who didn't know the left hand from their right. <laughs> that doesn't mean that traffic traffic really chaotic in there. <clears throat> what it does mean is that they were theologically very ignorant. They didn't know the basics of uh, who God is and what's right and wrong, etc. But 120,000 people is a very large city for those times. What times? about uh, 750 years before Jesus. In 1907, the archaeologists actually found Nineveh. And that was nice, wasn't it? And they said, oh, sorry, it was there all the time. We just didn't see it. And it's one of 157 examples I have where archaeology said the Bible is wrong, we know better. And then they had to say, oh, oh, uh, sorry, uh, only they don't usually say sorry, they just you know, kind of gloss over it as though they never said it in the first place. But 157 seems to me a fairly significant trend, uh, and I am quite sure that the Bible is much more reliable than our archaeology. And if you need anything more than that, Jesus said to the inhabitants of Galilee, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment against this generation because you have heard a greater preacher than Jonah. And they repented when they heard Jonah. And you're going to meet them one day, guys, and they're going to be very critical of you. (laughs) And uh, if you really want a little further evidence, you can visit London, England. Take your umbrella. (laughs) And your galoshes, it's wet there at the moment. But there is there a museum, actually a lot of museums in London because it's an old city. And one of them is named by the British who are extremely creative and it's called the British Museum. And <clears throat> if you go in there, there are artifacts from all over the world, uh, including two big black pillars that are about this big around. Uh, they're 15 feet tall. They're not complete. The top's missing. But they are actually the pillars on which the gates of the city of Nineveh used to be hung. And you can go and see them. Uh, And you can pay some money for going there, if you like. Among stuff we Brits have stolen from all over the world. (coughs) And uh, we're making capital out of it these days. It's about the only industry we've got left, but it's doing okay. (coughs) So Jonah is a real person. And he is told to go to... Nineveh and preach against it. Nineveh was actually the capital of Assyria and uh, if you were 
looking at a map from your direction of the Middle East, you would see three world powers, which are the egg, the ass, and the baby. The egg is Egypt, very good. The ass is Assyria, and the baby is wonderful. We're talking about Assyria. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, not the world number one power for a very long time, but while it was the world number one power, it had the distinction of being the most violent. And in fact, in Jonah, you would read that the men of Nineveh repent of their violence in chapter 3. So Jonah is told to go there. He doesn't want to go there. Why doesn't he want to go there? Several reasons, and none of these reasons are ever adequate in themselves, but one reason is all of us are really, really obedient, willing, enthusiastic servants until we're told to do something, right? And then when we're told to do something, suddenly we find we're quite rebellious. But, of course, we don't identify that. We just find some other excuse like, God didn't really mean that, did he? Or he didn't really say that, or he doesn't mean it now, does he? Or he doesn't mean me. <clears throat> and so when we are told that God has entrusted us with the only gospel that can lead men to salvation and make a difference between hell and heaven for eternity, we don't really take that too seriously, do we? And we don't do what we're told. There's a bit of that in Jonah, see. Then, <clears throat> if you were told to go to Babylon, uh, to Nineveh, the most violent city in the world, and the enemy of your people, <laughs> you might want to go, right? It might seem a little intimidating to go one person by yourself there. And some of you are old enough, I can tell looking at you, uh, to remember a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws, put out by Campus Crusade to encourage people who would ne never done it before to start witnessing. And the first one of those was, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. That's how you start The Four Spiritual Laws. Unfortunately, Jonah was not given a copy of the four spiritual laws. His message was a little bit different. You are the worst people in the world, and in 40 days, God is going to blast you off it. That was not calculated to be a very popular message, was it? So how would you like to go one person by yourself to a city of 120,000 people where you don't know anybody, and you don't have any connections, and start telling them that message? Jonah doesn't want to do that. Sometimes amongst God's people, there is very hard attitude as well, and I suspect there's a bit of this in Jonah, that some of us think somewhere there are some people who really are so bad, they don't need to be given the chance. Yeah. I think Jonah felt that about Nineveh, really. Why bother to tell them? Why not just blast them now? <laughs> and I occasionally meet that attitude in, in Christian. I'm sure it's not here, but it's, it's worth highlighting anyway. <clears throat> 
So for all these composite reasons, plus another one that he actually admits to, Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh. From where he was in Gath-Hefer, Nineveh was northeast. So where did he go? Southwest. <laughs> exactly the opposite direction. And he goes down to the coast to a little town described as Joppa, now known as Jaffa. And <clears throat> from there, he bought a ticket for a Mediterranean cruise only he wasn't going to come back again. It was just going to Spain. As far as Jonah knew, the end of the world in that direction. He didn't know there was anything else west of Spain. There isn't much anyway, is there? Oh. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> that was what he was going to do. Just get as far away as possible from God when you read it carefully from his mission field certainly but when you read it it says Jonah ran from the presence of God is that intelligent is it I mean, where are you going to run to really See? and Jonah is not an ignoramus his dad was a prophet and his dad made him memorize scriptures prophets tend to do this and Jonah memorized all kinds of scripture, like this. I sank down into the depths. All your waves and billows passed over me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. <laughs> and Jonah lived in the hill country, never saw the sea. You know? Beach vacations were not the thing to do in those days. Couldn't buy suntan cream or bikinis in those days. They, you know, they weren't there. You know. <clears throat> and you certainly couldn't go without them. No. He'd never seen the sea. All these scriptures were completely irrelevant to him and, I suspect, boring. In fact, probably not too much of a stretch of imagination to think of a seven-year-old Jonah saying to his dad, Dad! What have I got to learn this stuff for? This is boring. What are billows? What's seaweed? Sounds disgusting. <clears throat> and his dad just said, learn it, because that's the way prophets respond to that kind of attitude. <clears throat> so he's not an ignoramus. He knows scripture. He's been brought up in it. And he's running away from the presence of God not intelligent then of course there's Adam and Eve they sinned didn't they disobeyed God what did they do next they hid from God really where behind a bush <laughs> you've got to be kidding right if you're going to hide from God behind a bush which side of the bush are you going to choose? <laughs> right. I mean, isn't this crazy? If you were God, you could have endless fun with this. Really, you could. You could just make that bush burst into flame like the one that Moses saw, you know. They didn't have a whole lot of insulation at the time. It would have been uncomfortable. Or, or you could have come up behind them, 
and kind of in between, put a hand on each shoulder and say, hey, who are we hiding from? <laughs> it is ridiculous, but here's the bad news. You have their genes. <laughs> and though we may be in very intelligent in some fields, maybe very intelligent in some fields, when we start disobeying God and look for an excuse, we become really dumb. Any bush to hide behind. But it's still a bush, isn't it? You're not trying to hide from God behind a bush, are you? I mean, one that you've just invented. We know there's no real God. The entire universe is a total accident resulting from an unplanned explosion. <laughs> Give me a break. <clears throat> You've really got to want to believe that to be able to hide behind that, haven't you? So Jonah knows better, but he tries to run away from God. Buys his ticket, gets on the boat, sets sail. Huh. His plan's succeeding, isn't it, so far? Till the storm comes. I mean, God has got all kinds of time. You can go as far as Joppa. You can buy your ticket and get on the boat. You can set sail and go two days out into the Mediterranean. God's still there, of course, just waiting for the right time. And the storm comes. The main purpose of the voyage from, from the sailor's point of view is to make a profit. How are they going to do that? They bought some stuff in Israel. They're going to sell it in Spain. In fact, they've got one fair-paying passenger is a little bonus, they think. <laughs> Jonah is not much of a bonus, and he's not much of a prophet either. He's more of a dead loss than a prophet. But anyway, <clears throat> they think this is going to be a profitable voyage. That's why they make it till the storm comes. They're experienced sailors. They know what to do when the storm comes you drastically reduce the amount of sail you've got on the ship so that the sails don't get shredded by the wind and you leave just enough to try and be able to steer the ship. <coughs> and as the storm keeps on increasing, the next thing you have to do is bail out the water that's breaking in over the boat. <coughs> when that's not doing it and the water level is still rising, you need to take drastic action and the next thing they do is take all this stuff they bought at great cost and throw it overboard to make the ship lighter so it'll float higher and maybe stay above the waves. That's not working either. So then they take the absolute ultimate despairing action. They pray. <laughs> and the interesting thing about these guys is everyone has a different God. And none of them actually worship the true God. And everyone cries out to his God, and somehow they come to the consensus that heart of the problem is Jonah. And they go looking for him, and they find him in the bottom of the boat, asleep. Nobody else is, everybody else is in panic. Jonah is snoring gently in the bottom of the boat. He is not an experienced traveler. And I always find great amusement uh, 
when I'm on an airplane, there's not much to do on those things anyway. So you can observe people. And there are guys that travel all the time and they're a seat almost before their backside has hit the seat. <laughs> they're, they're long gone into oblivion before takeoff. And there are other people making their first flight and they're gripping the armrest and they're going to carry the plane with them all over the Atlantic and they're not going to go to sleep. Jonah is not an experienced child. He'd never seen the ocean before. And here he is snoring away in the bottom of this boat. The boat's in constant motion, up and down, pounding into the trough, waves smashing against the side, wind shrieking through the rigging, Four inches above his head there's a little wooden deck and there's guys in boots running about on there and bouncing cargo and trying to throw it over and trying to make each other heard above the noise of the storm and everything including John is wet and he's asleep. You know, if you've got a hotel room like that, you'd complain, wouldn't you? <laughs> so they come and they ask him, how can you sleep? It's a good question, isn't it? How can you under those? You could market this if you knew how to do it. Jonah is asleep, actually, because Jonah is at peace. Peace really helps you sleep. And in any battle, there are two ways to peace. One is called victory, and the other is called defeat. Jonah is experiencing the peace of defeat. He's a defeated believer. He's not engaged in battle. He's opted out of it. Satan leaves him alone. Why bother? He's got him where he wants him. God has been leaving him alone till now because God is just waiting for the right time. How can you sleep? Sometimes it reminds me of Sunday mornings. that uh, far too many believers are enjoying the peace of defeat, not engaged in the battle at all. They ask him one or two other in- interesting questions, like, what's your occupation? That's a good one, isn't it? What's your occupation? You know, I'm a prophet. Really? Yeah, it's my job to bring God's blessing into people's lives. That's why you just lost this expensive cargo you bought. Your, your ship's about to sink. <laughs> I'm a great blessing to you guys. <clears throat> you know, we are supposed to be a blessing to people, but when we get out of God's will, we become a serious danger to them. This is a real scriptural principle. You see it in the life of David. Three occasions innocent people die because David gets out of God's will. On the third occasion, a lot of them. <clears throat> what shall we do with you? Throw me overboard. <laughs> That's not the ideal solution in, in, in my book. You know, can Jonah swim? No. <laughs> Throw me overboard? He wants to drown. 
don't know about you, but drowning has never appealed to me. <laughs> I understand death is a real possibility. Most people seem to experience it. But drowning? Yeah, that really doesn't appeal. What else could they do? Well, they could go back to shore and he could go and do as he's told. Go and tell them anything. And if he'd made that suggestion and the sailors had taken it up, I expect God would have allowed it. Why not? But see, Jonah would rather drown than do as he's told. <laughs> That's pretty extreme, isn't it? And this is God's plan we're talking about. The heathen have a higher idea than Jonah does. And they try to turn the ship around and get it back to shore. But God's not going to let them do that under these circumstances. The wind comes offshore, drives them further out. The storm keeps on increasing. And now they've got to the moment where they've got to do something or they're all going to drown. So they speak to the real God for the first time. And they say, hey, God, this is your ocean. This is your storm. This is your prophet. And you can have him. And they throw him overboard. And Jonah thinks he's going to drown. But he can't, of course, because God hasn't finished with him yet. So there is this, what is described as a sea creature. And we're not told what kind of creature Speculation is it's a whale because it must have air inside it and therefore it must be a mammal, not a fish. <clears throat> so it's a fair guess. We don't actually know. It might have been a one-off. Not difficult for God to do that, is it? <clears throat> but let's return to the ship for the moment. They throw Jonah overboard, having spoken for the first time in their lives to the real God, the storm is over. Usually it takes a while for a storm to settle down. This one is just over. And every man in the ship made vows to God. In other words, they've been converted. Jonah is a highly successful evangelist. Not getting much benefit out of it, but he's a very successful evangelist. See, the bottom line is God wins. Whatever you choose, God wins. Nothing's going to change that. He's God. He knew all this before he created things. He's not going to lose. The difference is, of course, what happens to you, or in this case, Jonah. Jonah's not blessed because the whole crew get saved far from it sea monster swallows Jonah it's not entirely clear whether Jonah knew what was happening or not he might have had his eyes shut you know people who are not used to going into the water sometimes do that and anyway now he is in total darkness and you and I have probably never been in total darkness. But total darkness, where there's not a glimmer of light to orient you in any direction, is kind of intimidating. Especially when you don't know if it's ever going to get light again. 
and you don't know where the light switch is. And I'm not sure the monster had one. And there is continuous motion, up and down, side to side, total darkness, and a pretty stinky atmosphere. This thing had stomach acids, and Jonah is on his way down to the stomach. And so the air is sort of fishy and acidic and moist and lukewarm and not great. Classic conditions for motion sickness. Continuous movement in every possible direction, no vision. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so up comes Jonah's uh, residue of his previous meals got nowhere much to go he can't see where it's going anyway and it just comes out and dribbles down and he can't have a glass of water to wash out the tubes because there isn't any and there is nothing to eat or drink unless he wants yesterday's lunch all over again and it's kind of scary and he can't see where he is and he's being gently squeezed on every side and everything is kind of slippery and gently pulsating and the space is getting narrow and Jonah is in this condition for 72 hours of course he doesn't have a watch but doesn't even know when it's day or night 72 that's an awful long time isn't it nothing to do can't turn on his iPad or anything (laughs) what's he going to do after 72 hours here's what it says then John John prayed don't know about you but I think I would have got round to it a little earlier than that (laughs) but see it takes all this all this time and misery and isolation before Jonah is actually prepared to do as he's told. Then Jonah prayed. His prayer is interesting. I sank down into the depths. All your waves and billows passed over me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. 28 direct quotations from eight different sounds in Jonah's prayer. None of which had any significance for him before this. And then he says, I will pay my vows. In other words, I will do what I promised to do way back when. You might think Jonah is extreme. All this time and pressure and... So let's get personal. I want to ask myself and I want to ask you, what will it take before I am prepared to do everything that God says without delay and without argument? How much will that take? Maybe Jonah is not that unusual. God speaks to the sea monster which spews up Jonah on the beach. They parted company, not sure which of the two was the sickest. (coughs) 
Jonah washes off in the surf, heads to Nineveh. What is one guy going to do? He's not got his Bible with him. It's not a good idea if you're trying to run away from God. And he doesn't have any tracks. And he's all by himself in a foreign city of 120,000 people. What kind of impact is he going to make? <laughs> well, in three days, the whole city's got the message and the king has ordered national repentance. Makes us look kind of stupid with all our advantages, doesn't it? <clears throat> and the king proclaims a total fast, nothing to eat or drink for anybody or any animal, three days and three nights. And they cry out to God for his mercy. And Jonah wants to see the city wiped out. And he wants a good view, not too close could be a bit alarming if you're too close. Takes his place where he can see the city. He's on a little hillside overlooking Nineveh. Waits for day 40. Let them have it, God. Blast I want to see this. Doesn't happen. God, we're told, relented from the destruction he had threatened. Jonah is furious. Really furious. Sitting there on the hillside in the heat, seething with anger. Rotten God, rotten God. Just knew you were going to do this. You're so merciful and forgiving and gracious and all those other rotten characteristics you've got. <clears throat> and Jonah builds himself a little shelter, but he's not a great builder because the sun's still hitting his head. <clears throat> so he's... Um, getting sunstroke, headache, miserable. <clears throat> so God is nice to him and he makes this plant grow that gives him shade and without having to move, Jonah is in the shade and he's thinking, what a nice plant. The weather's even a little easier. <clears throat> and Jonah enjoys that. And then this worm attacks, attacks the plant, eats up its root, and the whole plant shrivels up and there's no shade and the sun's hotter than ever and a hot dry wind comes off the desert and Jonah is feeling worse than ever and angrier than ever rotten God rotten God what do you have to kill that plant for it's a nice plant never told a lie never hurt anybody and you went and killed it you're supposed to be merciful aren't you and God asks him a fascinating question. Are you right to be angry? See, my advice to you is that you don't ask that of an angry person unless you're either a lot bigger than they are or a long way away from them. <laughs> are you right to be Of course I'm right to be angry. You make me look like an idiot. I told them you'd destroy them. You didn't do it. They're all laughing at me now. Then you went and killed that nice plant. Angry enough to die. Do you remember the person who led you to Christ or at least gave you the information in the first place? How do you feel about that person? 
Do you go to bed laughing every night? <laughs> the fool. I was a heroin addict. I, I would have died years ago, but that idiot had to tell me the gospel, and now I'm still alive and I'm saved. What a clown. Is that what you think? Don't you have a kind of special affection, appreciation for that person? See, I don't believe that Nina was laughing at Jonah. I think they were enormously grateful for him. Not only that, they didn't know their left hand from their right. In other words, they were theologically ignorant. Who was going to inform them? Wasn't Jonah in the ideal position to be their mentor? Hmm? What a ministry he could have had with 120,000 people. And a place in that great city of huge esteem and purpose. But he's not in the city. He's on the mountainside with a headache. Do you remember what Jesus said about the angels when one sinner repents? What did he say? There is joy amongst the angels when one sinner repents. So what did they do when 120,000 repented? Hmm? What a party, eh? The angels brought out their crates and crates of celestial non-alcoholic champagne and had such a beano up there, didn't they? Was John a part of it? Nah. He's by himself on the hillside with a headache and a bad temper. Can't enter into the joy of Jesus and the celebrations of heaven. Can't enter into the relief and the restructuring of Nineveh. He's all by himself and bad temper. In fact, he's so wrapped up in himself, all he can think of is he'd like to die. And he's not thinking about going to heaven when he dies. Jonah desperately, desperately needs deliverance. He needs a heart transplant, doesn't he? Here's somebody who had one. The name's Paul. I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me. He's had a heart transplant, hasn't he? He's a whole new person in Christ. In fact, anybody is a new person if they're in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. All things have become new. Old things passed away. Paul is a new person. Jonah is the same old miserable person. It's just his circumstances are bringing out the reality that is Jonah. So let me ask you this question. Have you had a heart transplant? And are you enjoying it today? Yesterday's experiences don't do for today. Today's a new day. Let me recommend a heart transplant. Otherwise, 
you're still all wrapped up in yourself, it'll be just about as miserable as Jonah, whatever happens. God bless you. Thank you.